You're listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Lubbock, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered, missional family of disciples making disciples and churches planting churches. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit RedeemerLubbock.org. Good morning, everybody. I'm glad you're here. Uh, My name's Dusty, and um, we're going to be in a really interesting, but I would say complex passage. And I I know I said that last week, and truth be told, I'll say it again next week. I think chapters 9 through 11 are probably the three most complex uh, chapters in the book of Romans, and but they're beautiful, and it's worth just like paying attention and working all the way through it. I said this last week, and I think it's true every week, but I would encourage you that, you know, if you've got a device or a paper copy of the Bible to follow along because because of the complexity it'll help you like well maybe not specifically reading from a passage where you can look back and be like okay yeah that's where that verse is and things like that so I actually want to read verses one through four and I think it'll set the topic of what we're going to be hitting on it'll serve as a recap from last week because Romans 10 does follow Romans 9 we're working through Romans um, this whole year and um, it's a beautiful book beautiful truths so uh, let's jump in verse one of, uh, of Romans 10 It said, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, that's talking for uh, the Jewish people, um, is that they may be saved. And that was, if you remember, that if you're here last week, and if you weren't, this will catch you up really quickly. This is what actually set the whole talk about predestination up was um, in Romans 9, was the question of, is, is, God, uh, is God unjust because so many Jewish people had rejected uh, uh, Jesus, the Messiah? Um, and, and that was the question in chapters 9. So he's really revisiting that, that same idea. And verse 2, it says, For I bear um, them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So what he's saying is that, um, that instead of submitting to God's righteousness revealed through Christ, trying to do their own righteousness through obeying the law, letting that be their means of being okay with God. Uh, the law was given in the Old Testament. You can, a summary of it is the Ten Commandments, but you could go read a ton of it in a book like Leviticus. Verse 4 is key. Uh, it says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness uh, to everyone who believes. Um, there's some debate on what that word end means. Um, it probably means like the culmination, the goal, the trajectory of the law. It could also mean that the law was fulfilled in Christ. Either one could work there. But, uh, but the point is, is that Christ is where the law was all headed, and um, all of the law was fulfilled in Christ, and all of it was moving towards him. And so um, it's like, hey, look, that, it's the, uh, that that's where righteousness is found is not, uh, not by our doing, uh, that faith in Jesus is the means by which that we're right with God. And that's how we become righteous, not by uh, law-keeping um, on its own, apart from Christ, um, which is what uh, the Jewish people of that time were trying to do. Um, so the reality of it, though, is that I don't think that we're all that different, that I think we tend to try to be okay, even okay with God, but even okay as people through, um, through our own version of law-keeping and our own kind of self-righteousness. So um, it can be anything from um, some things that are in the Bible, that are truly in the Bible, um, that um, we're trying to check all the boxes and be like, hey, I'm supposed to share my faith, and I need to uh, be generous with my money, and I need to be regular in church, and I need to read the Bible on my own, and I need to make sure I pray, and I need to give to the poor, and I need to help people out, and I need to obey these, uh, these different many commands that are in the Bible. And by the way, it's all true. Like, all, all of it's in the Bible. Like, I, like sometimes whenever I hear, um, there can almost be like this small print Christianity and modern evangelicalism that's like, hey, God is love, and it's not really about doing, and which is true, um, but then it's almost like there's all the small print. If you start reading the Bible on your own, and you're like, hold up, there's lots of commands in here. 
but not just in the Old Testament either. Like, how do I understand uh, both of these things being true? And so um, the reality of it is, is that, is that um, there are a lot of us that, are, that we feel the weight of that. And it feels like every day you wake up and you have all these commands that are in the Bible and you're trying to push this boulder up a hill. And like you're just using everything you can and you kind of get it up there. And then the thing rolls back down to the bottom of the hill every morning when you wake up and you're like, oh boy. Here we go again. And so there's a lot of you that are really trying to please God and do the things in the Bible, but you are exhausted, feeling like it's never enough. And you imagine God's posture being something like this, like arms crossed, looking at you push, push the boulder, and he's maybe either disinterested or he's that coach that's screaming behind you harder, faster, stronger, you know, pick it up, something like that. And you're just so tired and you're just wondering. And I've heard, I've had, um, you know, a lot of people that have even good theology, but deep down it'll come out in different ways and they'll say, I just hope it's enough. You know, I hope all this is enough for him, you know. And maybe some of you relate with that. Other people, um, it's the same thing, pushing a boulder up the hill, but it's with rules we've made up that aren't actually in the Bible. That sometimes Christians are really bad about this, about even saying, well, you know, here's a, here's a principle, but we're going to take it to another place. It might be something like um, you can't drink alcohol at all, um, or women can't work outside of the home, or uh, you bet need to be in church a certain percent, or whatever religious gathering, and you need to be there a certain amount, um, or you're out, or who knows what. Um, but it can be some things that are like, well, I don't know. I mean, I think I understand where you're, the principle you're working from, but the thing that you're trying to enforce is not actually in the Bible. So, you know, so you could do that. Um, or, uh, or even a third version of this is someone that is not religious at all, um, and so they're not struggling with either, you know, Bible commands or implications of Bible commands, but a third category of, uh, of like, hey, you've got your own dogma, and you have things that you're supposed to be outraged about, and injustices that you stand up against, and uh, people you cancel whenever they're on the other side of it, and you've got a certain set of beliefs, and really there's doctrine that you hold to, and there's even gatekeepers around that doctrine that will call people out if they try to leave that camp. And it's non-religious, but you have your own rules and your own sense of, I'm a good person if I do these things. And so the point I'm trying to make is, is that I think there's a human condition. I think we are religious to a core, even if you're not religious. It's hardwired and baked into us that we really like to be righteous because we've done the right things and we're not like these other people that do all the wrong things and believe the wrong things and cancel the wrong things and whatever. And so we do, we do the right things and therefore we're okay. We're okay with God. We're okay with ourselves, We're okay in society because of these things. And, um, and so in talking about the Jewish people, Paul's saying that's what they were doing and they got it all wrong. It's not about doing. Being okay and being okay with God is not primarily about doing. So we're going to run quickly now, um, at least somewhat quickly, through the passage that uh, Leanne read. And I'm going to pick up in verse 5, and this one's pretty easy to handle. You're going to have a string of Old Testament um, quotations and that Paul's going to put together and apply them towards this whole idea we're talking about. The first one's going to be pretty straightforward. The second one, I would just describe it as sophisticated on the way that Paul is going to apply another quotation. So here's the straightforward one, verse 5. It says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. This is pretty much quoting Leviticus 18.5 verbatim. And um, so really the case it seems to be making, according to a commentator that I read, uh, this is how he put it. He says, Paul says that Moses laid down the principle that perfect obedience to the law would obtain eternal life from God if uh, we trust him and by his grace never sin, 
like hypothetically speaking, we would be, uh, we would be saved, um, at least this would be hypothetical, and having everlasting life. So it's saying, hey, look, if you want to live by the law, then you can live by it. And theoretically, if you could obey all the law, then you would be fine and be saved, and you could gain eternal life. And so this is in theory, and in a lot of ways, this squares with what we learned back in the fall in Romans chapter 7, where we learned that, hey, the law is good. Um, it's not that we've got to this new place where God says, you know what, gets on the dry erase board and kind of erases it all and going, all right, all right, I tried it by the law last time. Now let's try it by grace. That was a bad idea, bad idea. Uh, but no, the law was good. Like God laying out exactly how we should live and how we should relate with one another and how we should relate with him is a really great idea. It would a gift to know exactly how to live. So the problem has never been with the law. The problem is with me and you, right? And what we do is that that there's these laws and these clear commands, but instead of doing them, we're hypocritical. So, like, these are the kind of things you run into is, again, with each of those three kinds of people I mentioned earlier, is you could have someone that's like, hey, I know what the Bible says about sexuality, so I'm anti-gay marriage, for instance, but then go home that night and look at porn, Okay, so like you've got a stance that's in the Bible, but then there's this hidden sin lurking inside of us. Or um, on the one that um, on the one that has some extra rules that aren't in the Bible, it's it's like no, um, uh, I'm not letting my wife go work uh, because that would be you know against this and this and this. But then you scream at her at the house and bully her. See how this works? And so uh, in that certain community, you're right, uh, but then you're doing this other wicked thing that's actually the much weightier issue um, laid out in the Bible. Or uh, for the person that's not religious at all, um, you've been um, railing on, um, on different things and you know, different injustices and the whole thing, and you're saying, no, this is right and this is wrong, and how could you people think this and all this stuff? But then when there's another injustice that doesn't line up maybe with your political ideology, you just look the other direction. And so the point is, is that even laws we've made up on our own mind or more culturally bound laws, much less laws that are actually in the Bible, the problem is with our own heart. Theoretically, yes, if you could do it all, would you be saved? Sure. But the problem is our hypocrisy comes out, is when you try to live by the laws, even if you've made up the laws on your own, you'll see these inconsistencies in you. Is hey, let's be nice and forgiving, except I'm going to be not nice and not forgiving because I don't agree with your perspective. You know, and and we do it all of the time um, with a whole bunch of different things. I'm going to emphasize these things that are in the Bible, but these over here are less comfortable for me, so I'm going to pretend like they don't exist at all. Um, so um, the reality is, is, sure, could you? Yes, theoretically, but there's something really sick in our soul, which we've learned repeatedly in chapter three, especially of Romans. Uh, so verses six through eight is where it gets tricky, and I would say really interesting on what Paul's going to do here. So um, I want to I want to um, let you see what he's pulling from in verses six through eight that was read a moment ago, um, but I, w- I want you to see it in Deuteronomy chapter thirty, verses eleven through fourteen. This is where he's quoting it from. Um, so look on the right, and this is the Deuteronomy passage, right? It says, uh, for this commandment, um, this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, uh, that you say, who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and listen to this and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over
over the sea and bring it to us that we may hear and listen to this again and do it. Uh, But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, again, so that you can do it. So in Deuteronomy, um, when Moses is putting this down, which is who most people think um, is is the author of the first five books of the Bible, that um, the, the point here is that, hey, look, here's the law. It's good. Do it. Do it. It's like the doability of the law. And so it goes back to that basic inclination we all have of like, let's go do it. Let's go do the stuff. And that's the commandment. So now what Paul's going to do is he's going to take that basic, that basic um, quote, but then everywhere that the law was in the book of Deuteronomy, he's going to substitute Christ for it. All right? So I'm going to read now, reread Romans 10, 6 through 8. Uh, but the righteousness based on faith says, so as opposed to righteousness by law, whatever that law is, but especially Old Testament, it says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. Now over here in Deuteronomy, that was, hey, you know, it's, it's up there. You know, just go do it. Um, it says that is to bring Christ down or who will descend into the abyss That is to bring Christ up from the dead. So it's saying um, over in Deuteronomy, it's like, hey, it's not that high and it's not that low. Just go do it. It's like, well, Christ came down from on high. He rose from the dead, was killed and came back from the dead. And then um, it goes on to say, but what does it say? The word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. So what Paul does in this really sophisticated way of understanding the Old Testament is saying, the reality is, is the law was good, but we couldn't do it. It's right there. Just go do it. Okay, but you didn't, and neither did I. Even our own rules that we make up, we are hypocritical with. And so God's solution from this is not just to keep banging his fist on the table and saying, but for real, do it. You know, this time, do it. We're like, we're trying, but we can't. We can't. And so his solution for this is going, okay, so here's what we'll do. I'm going to send my only son and he's going to come do the law that you could not do. He's going to obey every facet of it, and he's going to pursue justice um, on both ends of the political aisle, if you want to look at it that way. He's, he's just going to do what's right, and he, he's going to obey all of the Old Testament. He's going to do all of it, and he's going to do it in a way that honors the Father, and he's going to be the one that um, came down from heaven, and he's going to be the one that, um, that, that uh, was brought back from the dead, from the abyss, and uh, instead of you trying to somehow be good enough and push that boulder up the hill that Christ is going to do that for you and Christ comes near to you. So therefore, it's not about doing, uh, but it's about believing. That is a world of difference. Yes, we do things. Yes, we do obey, but it's all about order. We believe and are made right with God. And then from being made right with God, then we obey. When you invert this, um, all sorts of hell breaks out. Um, that, that's whenever we try to be like, I'm better than you because I obey this and I'm, I'm okay. I'm better than all at self-righteous or shame of, I know the standard and I just can't ever get there. And I'm pushing that boulder, but I'm never good enough. And, and I hate myself because of my limitations and because of my sinful disposition. And, uh, what Paul does here in this sophisticated technique is to say, well, no, you're, you're set free from all that. I mean, what a beautiful and awesome truth. So I want to be clear in verses 9 through 13 that if you're here and this is stirring something in you and you're like, well, what would it mean to follow Jesus then? It's a great question. And some of the most beautiful, clear verses on exactly what you do are right here. I'm just going to read them. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Not, not about doing, not about um, I need to go uh, do 35 things, and then maybe if I do 35 things, then 
um, then I'll be okay. But no, it's, it's about believing. For uh, with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be, listen to this, put to shame. Because that's a real effect of whenever we don't obey the law, as we feel terrible about ourselves. And I'm saying, no, you're not going to be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, Jew or Gentile. If you're raised with the law or not, it's all exactly the same. And that is letting go of all of our own sense of righteousness and trusting on the righteousness of Christ. That's where it all heads. And this is incredible news. So if you want to become a Christian, what it means for you is to believe. That's it. It's, it's the one thing you do that's not doing anything at all. It's saying, I was unable, I was unable to obey enough and to do enough good things and to absolve myself of guilt. So I'm going to believe in Jesus who died and was raised from the dead. I'm going to believe in him and I'm going to believe that that's how I become righteous is by believing. It's, it's, I'm going to actually lean on all that he did. He's the one that, that obeyed the commandment. He brought the commandment near through his uh, death and resurrection. Okay, so um, there's a big difference between believing and doing. Uh, big. Um, the doing always comes after so here's the thing. Um, I was trying to think through, for me, what this means practically in my own life. And um, in addition to kind of highlighting our own hypocrisy, which I think this does, but I, I think something really helpful for me is I've got a weird tendency sometimes of whenever I sin against God and I do something that I know is in, in the Bible and, uh, and I do something that, that isn't right. Here's an interesting thing that I can find myself doing sometimes is sometimes I can find myself like withdrawing from God and like trying to really be super guilty and like sorry about it. And it's almost like how I imagine it. Now, here's the thing. I think a lot of us have these imaginary dialogues with God that are not actually God's voice. He's like, I never said that. Um, You're projecting onto me what you think I would say, but this is kind of my point, is how I can do it is I I do this thing, the shameful, disobedient thing. And, And then what I can do is how I can imagine if I were to come up to God and say, man, I'm really sorry about that. That was, that was really bad. I'm so sorry, and please forgive me. And, um, and, and he, of course, he'd say, I've already forgiven you. Um, I love you, and um, I, I accept your uh, repentance, and it's a beautiful thing. And now let me give you what you need to even trust me in that area going forward. Like, that's the reality of what the Bible says. But how I can imagine it is I do this terrible thing, and if I were to come to God like that, um, that he would say, shh, shh, almost like put his finger on my mouth and go, I don't want to hear it. We've had the same conversation five times. You're not even sorry. No, you're not. Um, Prove to me you're sorry. And so sometimes what I can find myself doing is maybe for a few days or hours or something like that, depending on the severity of the sin, is like making a real demonstration about like, no, man, that was really bad. And if I'm down in the dumps for a while, it'll prove to him I really am sorry this time about whatever it is that I've done. And like, so penance, that's what that is. That's a, you know, a holy grail with the monks hitting their heads with the boards and, um, and whatever else. We've got lots of different forms of it. Uh, if you had a wild Saturday night, and so I'll come to church Sunday. It'll make up for it. Or even our little bargaining sessions we have with God where, hey, I know I wasn't supposed to do this again, and now there's these consequences to my sin. But if you get out of me, if you get, this, get me out of this problem, um, for real, it's going to be on this time. And I'll start going to church every week. I'm going to start tithing again. I'm going to start, you know, we start like, I'll, this time, if you'll get me out of this mess, I'm going to really start doing it. That, like all of these things flow from this. And what this teaching is saying here is that, no, that 
Christ came near. Like he did the command that you couldn't do. We are righteous by faith and faith alone. And this isn't a new idea in the book of Romans, but it's a beautiful idea um, that you are made right with God. And therefore, um, you're free from penance and you're free from self-righteousness of feeling like you have to be better than everybody else. You're also free from shame. No one will be put to shame um, through the power of what Christ has done. It is so beautiful and great. Um, And I hope that every person in this room uh, takes God up on this because um, that you can even feel Paul's like pleading earnestness in this passage, and I feel it too. So um, now, in some ways, it's super tempting just to say, all right, so let's all believe in Jesus and trust in Jesus. But um, here's the thing that's interesting is where um, this last part of this passage goes, it's going to almost feel like a different sermon. It's not um, because it does follow Um, And so it is related very clearly in Paul's mind. And so we're going to make a little bit of a transition because we're right with God by believing. So hold on to that. But look what happens in these next few verses in verse 14 um, and following. It says, but how are they to call on him whom they not believed? So he's saying you're right with God by calling on God on the name of Jesus and by believing, not by doing. But he's pointing out, well, how does somebody believe if nobody tells them no? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Do you hear it? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And um, this is how, um, this is really asking the question, well, how does belief happen then? How does it happen? And um, sometimes I've heard people wrongly attribute to St. Francis of Assisi over the years of, hey, preach the gospel when necessary and use words kind of thing. Like in other words, if we go serve at the soup kitchen and if we go um, hand out um, clothes to those who need them and go do good things in our community, that people will just turn to Christ in droves. And by the way, I do think we should go serve um, at, at a great place um, like we have here in Lubbock that just does great work. Um, and I do think we should um, care about all sorts of vulnerable people. I think we should. And I do think we should help people everywhere we have. I think, I think we should. The Bible's clear about that. Um, but what's interesting about this, though, is the way that someone becomes a Christian is not by seeing good example. The way someone becomes a Christian is by hearing good news. Those feet that bring the, the good news are beautiful, it says here. Whenever we articulate the gospel word of Jesus' cr- crucifixion and resurrection, someone hears that. That's the means by which that faith can spring up in their heart is by hearing the gospel preached. I'll give you a quick example of that, but I hear this all the time. Is the other day I had a college student say that, They came uh, for the first time um, at our uh, 15th anniversary service the other day. Um, It was like at the end of January. And um, it wasn't from my sermon, but from a baptism story of someone else. Something that they said as they were telling their own story that just clicked. He said, I became a Christian on the spot. How about that? So that's what happens. So someone says, here's my baptism. Here's what Christ has done. You're like, whoa. And then God breaks through. In a beautiful way. And so um, it could be over coffee. Were you sharing that? It might be right now while I'm speaking that, like I'm hoping, I'm praying today that while I'm doing this, that someone like on the spot is going to uh, meet Jesus and not like die and go to heaven, but like um, you'll meet him and believe in him. You know, let's hope that's not what's going to happen necessarily in this moment. Um, so uh, that's how it happens. And I've got three quick, beautiful gifts that talking about mission, which is us sharing our faith, that's the word I'm using, um, that three beautiful gifts that, um, that God gives us through walking um, in, in this. So here's three things. One, um, mission highlights both evangelism and the sovereignty of God. And I could have used human responsibility instead of evangelism, and I was torn between those two things. Uh, but here's why I point this out. 
if you combine Romans 9 with Romans 10, Romans 9 was like this beautiful, I even use the image of, look, we, on our end of the curtain, all we know is we're sharing the gospel and then we're either believing it or not. And people are, are choosing to follow Jesus or we're not. And that's all real. We affirm the real, realness of choices. Last week in Romans 9, we pulled the curtain back and we're like, okay, now let's talk about God's own motivation and how did we choose him and asking questions like that. Um, so there's the sovereignty of God component. This week, it's all about our end of the curtain about, hey, we are responsible to believe. And you're either going to be try to be righteous on your own, which won't work out well for you, or you could be righteous by believing in Jesus. And so I just wanted to point out that what a gift it is to combine both of these beautiful truths in chapter 10, that God is both sovereign, we just let that stand, that's true, and we are responsible, and evangelism still matters, like us sharing our faith, because you can see why if you only focus on one of these two things, there are big problems and why this is such a gift. If you only focus on the sovereignty of God part, and people do this all the time, is to say, well, it doesn't matter if I pray or if I share my faith. What does it matter? God's going to do what he's going to do. He's sovereign, you know? And um, people have done that over, uh, over church history. It's true. Um, but if you only focus on this part, which is our own responsibility in sharing our faith, we can feel like um, the key to that um, is our clarity and effectiveness as the preacher. And like, so today, if I, if I didn't think any of this, all of today's success is on the clarity of my presentation, which I'm not just super confident at, at the big scheme of things and my skill as a communicator or anything else. But when you combine these things, it allows me to stutter through a sermon and, or you to stutter through sharing your faith with someone over coffee or whatever. And I don't, know, I don't want to be on a video and tell my story in baptism, and I, but I'm going, to, I'm going to go ahead and do it, is that ultimately our confidence isn't in the quality of our presentation, but on the God who is sovereign and actually gives power to our sharing of our faith and makes it go, and he's the fuel that makes it all happen. And so we can say, I don't know what God's doing behind the curtain, but I'm just going to scatter seed like crazy and let him do what he's going to do. It actually gives me encouragement um, that, that he will make it effective. And so we are responsible and God's sovereign. Both of those things are true all at the same time. Number two, uh, mission tests our allegiance to God's grace um, in a beautiful way. And that's why I think you're even seeing a connection between these things is, um, it is it's really easy to say, no, nah, I believe in Jesus. But man, when you share your faith with someone, you're risking reputation oftentimes, relationship. Um, to use an old Spike, Spike Dykesism, who was an old coach at Tech, um, had a million sayings. I mean, he was, he was worth the post-game presser uh, by himself. Um, one of my favorite ones is said, you know, if you think about breakfast with egg and bacon, um, that the chicken's involved, but the pig's committed, you know? And so um, it's kind of like this. You're like, no, no, I believe in Jesus, but the one who's sharing their faith, like, regularly, like, there's a level, that, that's the bacon, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, no, I'll put myself out there, and I'm risking relationship, and everything else is that when I share my faith with someone, there's a level of me, like, gulp, do I really think this is true? Do I really think there's a heaven and hell? Do people really need to meet Jesus? Or do I just want to go to church and be kind of be seen as a good person in Lubbock and whatever. You know what I mean? It may feel better about myself, but is this real? And if it's real, I'm going to put myself out there. And what a beautiful gift it is to like test our allegiance in a good way, like build it even, strengthen it. Uh, Number three, uh, mission tests where our focus is. Um, In other words, is it going to be on you or is it going to be on the kingdom of God? And here's what I mean, is that um, over the years, um, I have, I think it's safe to say we've had lots more people leave Redeemer over Romans 10, even if it's not that passage, than a passage like Romans 9. 
So um, we have people that will leave. Like, I don't think I agree with what you guys did about the Bible, but way more people that will leave, and this is true for any church in town, uh, because um, there, there's something about, um, about growing or things that they feel like maybe they weren't getting their own needs met that will make people want to move on. And specifically what I mean is, is that um, you'll be like, man, um, I want something for like my age group and my life stage. And um, hey, I don't want to make room. I don't want to have a big church. I don't want to have multiple services. I don't want my gospel community to multiply. I like those people. And I don't want to send that missionary and that church planner. I liked them, and I don't. I want to keep on to my money, and I want to do everything else, like all the things that are related to the kingdom of God expanding and mission, and all the facets of it. And um, I don't know what those missionaries do, and I don't want to give money to it. And whatever, whatever it is, is that at the end of the day, um, again, the, the sharing our faith and everything that comes along with it is um, is this real test of who's this for, man? Is this for you, or is it about the glory of God? and people knowing Jesus. Like, which of those two things is, at the end of the day, my deepest and strongest allegiance? It tests that, and hopefully, um, it's why it's a real gift, is that it actually builds that. I want to finish with two verses, and this is just, just leaving this out there. It says, so faith comes from hearing, in verse 17, summing it up, and hearing uh, through the word of Christ. So that's everything we've heard. Beautiful summary. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for the voice has gone out, their voice has gone out to the earth for their words to the end of the world. And so it's important to say, in addition to our friends in our fraternities and kids that play on our kids' sports teams um, and your neighbors and whoever else that are near, there's also a far element. And that's why we plant churches. And most recently in Wichita Falls and Austin, they had their first gathering last Sunday night. Um, and even early on now in Tucson, we do that in the United States. We also send goers to the ends of the earth where Jesus is not known. You're like, why do y'all do that? Why do y'all have every month someone that y'all are praying for over there? It's because of this. Like, how are these people going to know who Jesus, billions of people have never even heard of the message you're hearing at all. Like, they don't even know that this is how you could be made right with God. They don't know, they don't even know the name of Jesus and what all of this is about. And uh, and, and someone's going to come there. And we had a couple of our goers that just led someone to Christ just the other day. And like, you're able to, you're able to share with someone that has never heard in over weeks and months of relationship building and learning language, you're able to bring the hope of Jesus to them. And what a beautiful thing it is while we do this with people who are near and we do it with people who are far, and it's all coming from the same place. And what a gift it is for us to be included in what God's doing. And if you think about this, one last thing is that ultimately what we're doing is the way that you believed, like the example I gave earlier of a woman sharing her story here and a young guy back here that hears it and believes, like that's how you believed. Is someone out there told you, it might have been a parent, it might have been a preacher, it might have been a roommate, it might have been a coach, I don't know, I don't know who did that with you, but someone articulated the gospel words of Christ's death and resurrection. You heard them and you believed, and what a gift it is that we get to be included on speaking that gospel word with our neighbors and friends, so they don't end up in the trap of feeling like they've got to do, and they're pushing that boulder, but they could be free from that and know the grace of Jesus. And I'm going to pray that that be um, our heart. So Lord, would you uh, build a faith in every heart that's here, um, that there'd be a faith in, in your son Jesus and not on what we do, but also Lord, um, that, that you would um, catalyze us to not only believe these things, be set free from shame ourselves, but even um, speak this hope. Um, that you would send us all over the city and to the ends of the earth to plant churches and to make Christ known um, everywhere where he is not known now. Lord, let it be so. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.